He climbed off the plane and dropped to the tarmac. He reached into his pocket, pulled out a lunch bag, and took out a ham sandwich and began eating it as he walked away. He entered the terminal, went to a restroom, took off his jacket, earmufflers, and ID badge, made a quick phone call, and marched to the airport security office. I put a bomb in a bag that was loaded onto an A320 at National Airport this morning, he explained to the officer on duty, and I just rode in the cargo hold of a 737 from D.C. I could have downed the plane any time I wanted. The stunned officer leaped over the desk to tackle him. At that instant, the door to the office flew open and three men strode in. Their federal badges held high like the scepters of kings. Homeland Security, one of them barked. He pointed at Harry Finn. This man works for us, and somebody is in a shitload of trouble. Great job, Harry, as usual, the head of the Homeland Security team said later, clapping Finn on the back. Finn wasn't an employee of DHS. The firm he worked for had been retained by the agency to test the security strength of both government and sensitive private facilities around the country. They did this using a hands-on, head-on approach. They tried to breach the places any way they could. DHS did a lot of this type of outsourcing. You can wing it back to D.C. with us, the man said. We have an agency falcon standing by. Thanks, but I have someone here I've been meaning to visit. I'm going back tomorrow. Right. Till next time. Finn rented a car and drove into the Detroit suburbs, stopping at a strip mall. From his knapsack, he pulled out a map and a file with a photo in it. The man in the picture was 63 years of age, bald, and went by the name Dan Ross. It wasn't his real name, but then neither was Harry Finn's. Finn was a former Navy SEAL with special ops experience and combat duty on his resume, and he possessed unique foreign language skills from immersion school in California where he'd spent a chunk of his life. Arthritis, and on top of that, damn lupus. They were a lovely duo, perfectly synchronized to make Dan Ross's life a throbbing hell. He downed a couple of pills he wasn't supposed to have, and plunked a ball cap on his hairless, pale-skinned head, pulling the brim low over his eyes, then donning sunglasses. He never wanted people to get a good look at him. He eased himself into his car and drove to the store. Along the way, the meds kicked in and he felt okay, or at least he would for a couple of hours. Thank you, Mr. Ross, the sales clerk said, glancing at the name on the credit card before handing it back along with his purchases. You have a good day. I don't have good days anymore, Dan Ross replied. I only have days. Dan Ross left the store. His gaze discreetly eased in all directions. To this day, he could not overcome the impulse to check whether he was being followed. He got that way when people were always trying to kill you. Unfortunately for Ross, while his observation skills were good, they were no longer infallible. Down the block in his rental car, Harry Finn sat and studied him. Ross turned and walked down the street and into the Edsel Deli. After Finn had tracked Ross to this town, he'd made several trips here to learn the man's routine. This surveillance had enabled him to concoct the perfect plan to complete his task. About five minutes before Ross would leave the Edsel, Finn got out of his car, strode across the street, glanced in the window and located Ross at his usual table in the rear, studying the bill he'd just been handed. Finn walked unhurriedly down the street to where Ross's car was parked. In two minutes, he was back in his rental. Three minutes after that, Ross emerged from the restaurant, 
climbed in his car, and drove off. Ross went through his usual litany of triviality that evening, finishing off with three fingers of Johnny Walker Black, combining it with a potent pop of meds for the pain. He barely made it to his bed before the paralysis set in. At first he assumed it was the drugs, and he actually welcomed the numbing feeling. When he suddenly found it difficult to breathe, he knew it was something else altogether. He could feel nothing in his limbs now, nothing at all. His gaze ran down his left arm until it reached his hand. He tried to rub the fingers together, but his mind's command apparently was not reaching the digits. Earlier, there had been something on his fingers. It had felt slick like Vaseline. You could rub and rub and never get it to feel dry. He'd washed his hands when he got home, and that seemed to do the trick. The fingers didn't feel slick anymore. He didn't know if it was due to the soap and water or whatever it was having evaporated.